Printing Cyberspace, and welcome to episode 42 of the Double Density Podcast with your host, Brian and Angelo. Angelo, first things first, happy new year, buddy. Happy new year, Brian. Happy February, February 5th today as we record. May your family uh, be strong and healthy in this coming year. Yeah, we've got 11 months left to this 12-month year. Perfect. I'm great. I'm really glad that you're staring at a calendar and counting down with me as we wish each other happy new year continually in a weird kind of Groundhog's Day kind of way. Over and over again. So first things first, you let a stranger into your home this week, didn't you? Well, he just came into the entrance. Uh, I had to sell something on um, Kijiji, which you've mentioned before. It's sort of like Craigslist for Canada. So I was selling a water cooler, the ones where, you know, you, my wife and I would hang out and talk about the uh, previous night's TV shows. Cheers. Yeah. MASH, etc. Exactly. Friends. And uh, so I had posted it on Kijiji to sell. And... I got a reply from somebody. He was asking if it was negotiable. So I said, yeah, I could let it go for 50 bucks. No problem. And I had emailed him back because it was through, it's like this weird anonymous email it sends where they can't really tell what your email address is. And that's it. I left it and I came back three hours later and he had sent me nine messages asking me where I was, if he could come pick it up now, um, if I was still selling it. And then he said, is there something wrong with my network? Because maybe you're not getting my messages. Hello, are you there? I guess you don't want to buy this. Uh, You don't want to sell it. And (laughs) it was just three hours. So he was using the app. So he thought I was like text messaging him and I was ignoring him, whereas I don't use the app. Um, Did you you picture heavy breathing going on while this guy was typing to you? I don't know. But he kind of like, I felt like he had lost it on me. And I was almost worried to actually reply, but it all turned out well in the end. I told him, look, I only check it by email and I only check my email a few times a day, if that. And that's why I didn't get back to him right away. He came by the next day, perfectly fine, nice gentleman, picked up the water cooler, paid me the 50 bucks and left. Everything was fine. No one was murdered. All is well. So your murder account for Kashiji Adventures is zero. So far, so good. I'm glad to hear it, dude. Yeah, I'm happy. I'm alive. We're able to record tonight and uh, all is well. Do you keep uh, like a, a baseball bat or something? Like we talked about that last episode. Do you keep something around the door for uh, your Kijiji encounters? Uh, not really. Although now you're making me reconsider my thoughts of how I approach these people coming to my home. Although I just kind of let them into the entrance. I like it more in the summer where... They don't have to come in because uh, it was very cold on the weekend and we didn't just want to leave the door open as we talked. So I had to actually let him into the entrance. But it's like sort of like an airlock, my entrance, where there's like the front door and then there's the entrance door. So at least there's that. Instead of a baseball bat, would you consider buying a flamethrower? That sounds like a great idea. Where can I get a flamethrower, Brian? Uh, I do believe the boring company headed up by the elusive and illustrious Elon Musk is selling them for $500 USD a pop. And unfortunately, they're sold out. Can we actually get one here in Canada? I have no idea of the legalities of ordering a flamethrower uh, <laughs> through the mail to a different country. But yeah, uh, so Elon Musk and company made 10 million bucks in roughly uh, five days with 20,000 flamethrowers. And he was tweeting about the fact that he wouldn't be able to maybe mail them out, label flamethrowers, so he would label them not flamethrowers. It really seems like a publicity stunt and not an actual product, does it? Oh, for sure. I mean, he's selling them for 500 bucks. I can make you a flamethrower for, 
a third of that with probably the same capacity. You just buy some hairspray and a lighter, no? Yeah, well, I it's not just a lighter, but one of those barbecue lighters, right? So there's more distance from your face. This flamethrower would have come in really handy for our alien invasion talk. We should have thought of it last week. I think we mentioned it very briefly, but then walked away from it, uh, unfortunately. But hey, Elon Musk may be bringing the flamethrower back. I want to know if anyone out there has bought one of these 20,000 flamethrowers. You could tweet at us at double underscore density and let us know, because I'm super intrigued as to why you would give Elon Musk 500 bucks uh, for... Uh, something you can make for a fifth of that with not that much uh, in terms of like needing to, uh, know-how. If if we do have a listener that actually bought one of these, I would like to like basically have you on the show and discuss this because it'd be pretty amazing. Also, we'd make a list of things we'd love to burn. <laughs> like I feel like that's more important than anything else at this point. Is like you bought a flamethrower, what are you going to do with it? Giant army men. Oh, all kinds of things like tall blades of grass, <laughs> books you don't like. No, you shouldn't be burning books. Ah, well. A DVD of Stan Romanek's uh, Extraordinary Movie. <laughs> I, did that even come out on... It probably did come out on DVD. What am I saying? Of course. DVD, Blu-ray, HD DVD, DivX. Uh, oh, H, HD DVD. Wow. All right. Well, you're really... Uh, you're pulling for the... Betamax. Shouts out to Betamax. Uh, if you have one, you can also tweet it as Dublin for <laughs> Density. Let us know what Betamax tapes you have. I'm super intrigued. Uh, my sister had a Betamax. Does she still have one, though? I don't think they have it anymore. Oh, that's really, really unfortunate. Switching gears from flamethrowers to something a little more uh, important than that. Apparently, Newsweek's been caught buying traffic. Or not necessarily Newsweek themselves, but the ad agency in which they're dealing with has uh, been accused of buying traffic through uh, a really comprehensive BuzzFeed news article, which I really, really enjoyed, which we'll link to in the show notes. Yeah, it's a long, dense article packed full of uh, information, but... BuzzFeed, man, they've gone from listicles to really good uh, investigative journalism. The BuzzFeed News vertical has run really, really well in terms of investigative journalism over the last two years, I'd say, and I'm really happy to see that this is uh, going on uh, even more. And yeah, it's a really interesting article, a lot of stats and a lot of explanations as to how this works. But basically, um, shadow traffic has been created through a series of pop-ups and uh, in order to artificially boost um, revenue as well as page views. It's really shady how they do it. Um, first of all, they, they do it through basically popping up these websites that they're um, trying to get traffic towards behind piracy websites, basically. And yeah. all, all these, all these uh, websites are getting weird traffic from these weird places, but it's actual human beings going to the sites, but they're inadvertently going to the sites. That's right, yeah. And... Uh, have we brought up Business Insider, how they're like the, in terms of Apple News, because we like to talk about Apple News, in terms of Apple News, they're the most clickbaity of clickbaity sites, where it's like, Apple is doomed, iPhone ten canceled, things like that. Go go look at Business Insider's Apple News, and it's complete garbage. I thought this was going to be the second of like 42 episodes in which we didn't talk about Apple at all, but it looks like uh, that streak is over about seven minutes into this episode, it's, so whatever. It's a tangential, gentle, tangential, tangential, mental, of buffering <laughs> of Apple. Um, speaking of Apple, you want to talk about uh, podcast ads? Well, it's so that that these are the bad type of ads where uh, these people are be are like buying uh, advertising dollars in the wrong way. If you want to spend your advertising dollars in the right way, invest in podcasts. Apparently, 
You can go ahead and email us for all business opportunities at doubledensitypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear about your submissions and we'll accept almost any offer uh, for ads. But yeah, so basically, it uh, turns out that a podcast is a really sound investment for an investor due to the fact that people stick around for most of the episode. They don't skip the ads and they actually go out and buy the products that are advertised on podcasts largely. Well, people were worried when Apple announced that they were going to have... See, we, we were going to mention Apple anyway, Brian, so it doesn't matter. Uh, Apple announced at WWDC this year that they were uh, kind of improving the way they can um, compile podcast analytics analytics through podcasts listened to on iOS 11 and through the Apple Podcasts app. And what happens is that you can tell how long people listen for, what they're skipping, and uh, in fact, even what they're going back and listening to again. And it looks like people are not skipping ads, especially when the ads are on podcasts that the hosts read the ad themselves and they don't just run like uh, a, a pre-roll or whatever. They actually, if the, the, the host is engaged with the audience and talking about the product, people are likely to listen to it. Look, I know from my own podcast listening habits, I rarely skip ads. And it's mostly because they're so cleverly woven into the show and it's the hosts discussing what they feel about the product. I think it's fine. It's almost just like part of the podcast. That's a very good point too, or else the, the plug, it seems very, very, very organic. It doesn't seem forced or stilted. A lot of the times when I listen to podcasts pitching products, so that's really cool. Yeah, it's never, they never sound forced or faked, which is really nice uh, compared to the garbage you'll see on TV. Uh, when was the last time you recorded something on TV and didn't skip the commercials? I'm probably going on my third, second decade of that probably at this yeah. point. Yeah, oh, there we go. I think when we first got a PVR... It was like revolutionary in my household because we used to have to, we never really watched anything live on TV because we just would tape it on literal cassette tapes and then um, fast forward through that. But then we got a PVR is even better. But with podcasts, I don't find myself skipping over ads pretty much ever. What's up, UFOnauts? It's your UFO guy, Rob Christofferson. Have you ever been curious about the UFO phenomenon, but unsure of where to start? Have you ever wondered about just what crashed at Roswell? Have you ever wanted common sense advice about licking UFOs? The answers don't. Then check out the Our Strange Skies podcast, where we dive into America's rich UFO history and uncover what these sightings say about ourselves. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and most podcast apps, as well as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Don't forget to look up, because you never know what you'll find in Our Strange Skies. In gray, we trust. And, um, however, I'm not one of the audience uh, members that will have those stats going through to uh, Apple Podcasts because I don't listen to my podcasts using um, the Apple uh, Apple the Apple Podcasts app. See if we don't mention Apple enough, you forget how to pronounce it. Apple pear banana. <laughs> A uh, quick side note, though, and a huge thank you to everyone who does listen to us because Angela and I were taking a look at our stats last night. And amazingly enough, a lot of people have been not only listening to us through Apple Podcasts, but have also listened more than once per episode. So thank you to everyone who listens to us more than once uh, per episode. Is it because they can't understand our thick Canadian accents? Either that or that we're saying some nugget of truth that they really need to sit down and write out. Well, thank you regardless of whether you're listening a few times because of our difficult-to-understand accents 
or if you're just engaged and really enjoy our show. Let's move on to my favorite part of this episode, talking about people who have fallen. Uh, <laughs> and by that, I mean uh, the quasi-famous Billy Mitchell of uh, King of Kong fame has been dethroned. His uh, Twin Galaxies score has been revealed to be a trickery, a falsehood, a fakery. So I saw King of Kong a long time ago. I guess, uh, like, early on in, like, the time I got Netflix, like 2009 or so. It was one of the first documentaries I watched on there. And just watching that, you can tell uh, Billy Mitchell seemed like a scuzzy kind of guy. Especially with that, uh, that really obnoxious uh, Canadian, uh, American flag shirt he was wearing. Yeah, and his, uh, his always pimping his barbecue sauce. Right. Uh, so yeah, so uh, basically what has happened is that people over Donkey Kong forums, which is a real thing that exists and let a lot of people visit, have uh, discovered that Billy Mitchell's uh, purported score was actually a spliced together sort of best of. So the way that it works is that uh, he's claiming that he actually did this on an arcade cabinet, but there's no evidence to support that. Usually people who uh, uh, want to submit scores to sites like speedrun.com or Twin Galaxies will point a camera uh, directly onto the feed of the arcade cabinet because a lot of these aren't really compatible um, with modern television and re- other recording devices as well as like inputs into computers. So it's very difficult to actually manage to sync up what's going on with your arcade cabinet uh, to your uh, computer screen or TV. Um, so a lot of people have discovered that uh, the big problem is that he was getting abnormally high scores uh, when he was beating enemies, enemies with hammers. And uh, so that was discovered to be most likely that. And there's a couple of other glitches that reveal that he probably most likely was using the MAME emulator, which is an arcade emulator. It's, it's interesting how they caught this because, and it took this long to catch it, because the way he did it was using the MAME emulator. And the way the MAME emulator uh, renders the old Donkey Kong game is that it brings in the, uh, the images from the side of the screen or something like that instead of them dropping in in one shot. And they were able to slow it down and catch that this is what was happening. And setting video game scores on an emulator is a big no-no. Well, one and two, it's very easily to sort of dupe anyone who's watching uh, because of the fact that you kind of get to use save states, right? So the idea of you beat a level and then you move on to the next one. And if you screw it up, you can just go right back to the beginning without anyone uh, being none the wiser. Yeah, that's how I beat Castlevania recently on my RetroPie. And... You, that's it's funny because you you say that and it's true because I remember watching um, when Steve Weeby was trying to work on the record in King of Kong, uh, his kid was like, "Dad, I have to go to the bathroom" or something like that, and he was stuck playing Donkey Kong and on arcade cabinets. There's no pause button. That's quite correct. Yeah. Uh, so uh, apart from Billy Mitchell, before this uh, a week ago, Todd Rogers, he of uh, dragster fame as well as a, a bunch of other records, uh, had been found to be uh, probably lying about his dragster record because no one, even the tool assisted runs, uh, was able to get his score of five point five four seconds. It's it's amazing that all these guys are are coming out as being. Uh total losers when it when it comes to these video games and had to like basically make it up almost it's like they were good at video games it's just that they wanted to uh, hold on to this glory from the 80s and just had to kind of cheat their way into it at this point 
Yeah, and the weird thing too is that in Todd Rogers' case, he only performed this quote-unquote world record in front of a couple of people, uh, including de- uh, developers behind closed doors in the early 80s. So no one has publicly actually seen a 5.54 or 5.51, which he also purported to claim to have. Uh, the closest you can get there is a 5.57. What we're going to do is we're going to link to a video that uh, uh, YouTuber EasyScape made. And uh, you want to check out him, Apollo Legend, and Summoning Salt if you're interested in any sort of speedrun records or histories of. They actually put together really comprehensive videos about those things. And uh, for someone who's into this stuff, it's really, really cool to watch. You've always been into these speedruns things. I remember even years ago, you sending me clips of people doing speedruns in old NES games. You've, uh, you seem to really enjoy watching people go through games as quickly as possible. I love the mastery and the skill behind it. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, Todd Rogers, Billy Mitchell, get out of here. Time for the new guard to come on in. Yeah, I, I remember feeling bad for Billy Mitchell at one point because they had said that he was uh, poorly portrayed in uh, King of Kong. It seems like that movie was more accurate than uh, he would uh, say it was. I definitely agree with you. It turns out that hubris uh, is a bad quality. And uh, when you use it on people, you know, for any other uh, reason, uh, sometimes when you fall, everyone is like, good. See you later, buddy. Yeah, I... uh... So who has the, the Donkey Kong record now? Somebody, uh, there's a couple of people that had uh, totally smashed his fake record anyway. So right now, Robbie Lakeman is holding uh, the world record for Donkey Kong that he established a little uh, couple of weeks ago, looks like. Good. See, I'm glad that uh, Billy Mitchell no longer has the record. I don't think he deserves it, especially if he cheated. Cheaters do not deserve anything. What a great PSA that is. Cheaters deserve nothing. Here on Double Density. Double Density seal of approval speaking of people who will never get the double density seal of approval last week we covered mad mike hughes and his rocket launch which apparently did not happen uh uh the saturday before the super bowl so he was mia a bunch of people showed up there were uh policemen there was a small crowd and uh, mike hughes was not there and uh no one's really sure what happened no um what can we say? Did we did we call this? We thought. Uh, I think I said it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, I think you did say that too, and uh, not a huge surprise there. No, not at all. There was a quote I had seen a woman say about him, and I can't remember where I saw it. Well, but yeah, apparently the Flat Earth Society held a press conference, or a, sorry, they posted a video about why it didn't happen. And apparently, like, uh, no one's quite sure. No one's quite sure at all. So, uh, come on. So there was a quote I read in one of the articles about this, and it really made me laugh uh, because it was a woman talking about him, and it said, he's all about getting seen rather than getting launched. My husband (laughs) gave him $100 cash the last time he was going to launch. Live and learn. It's a quote to live by if I ever heard one. I also don't think that uh, donating to Mad Mike Hughes is tax deductible at this point either, right? So there you go. Oh, man. I, I did enjoy um, Daring Fireball making fun of him. Um, John Gruber, generally an Apple blogger, did actually uh, make fun of him because uh, he kind of made fun of the, the headline from NBC News. He wrote, actual title from NBC News, can self-taught man... No, sorry. Actual headline from NBC News, can self-taught rocket scientist Mike Hughes prove Earth is flat? The answer is no. And yeah, it. well, that's apparently it, then links to uh, the uh, rule. Uh, it's called Betteridge's Law of Headlines. That any headline that ends in a question mark can be answered by the word no. 
uh, words to live by, quotations to live by. Uh, before we head over to the paranormal section, uh, uh, you said something cryptic to me tonight, and I want to know what this is. You said that you had, you've done something terrifying to your computer. What, what did you do tonight? Okay, so you know how, um, I guess, precious my photo library is to me, right? Yeah, here we go again. The 20-some-odd, almost 30,000 photos I have. And uh, I have them all in iCloud. They're all safe and sound. So it's not that terrifying. But what I did is I changed my um, main photo library of my computer. So now it's pointing to my external hard drive. And what I'm doing now, it's paused right now because we can't have this happening as we're recording because we're talking over the internet. But I'm going to have about 30,000 photos and videos being downloaded into my computer onto this external hard drive over the next, I don't know how long it's going to take, week or so. Cool. Um, yeah, but it was very terrifying that I was going to screw it up. Although I guess my uh, the thing I wrote in the notes was more exciting than it actually ended up being, wasn't it, Brian? This is a kind of non-event here. Man moves. The, will this will self-taught computer user <laughs> successfully move photos to hard drive? No. No, don't say that. I hope I hope that's not a no. It's the patented double density jinx. Oh, thanks. Uh, well, the last time I checked, though, because uh, iCloud Photo Library with stuff like that uh, isn't the best, and uh, it was just sort of stuck not downloading anything. So I'm going to leave it overnight and see what happens. There you go. Let's hope that it actually works out for your sake and mine, because if it doesn't, there's a good seven or eight episodes of Double NC that will be probably exclusively reserved for uh, you complaining about that. You know it. Let's head on over to the paranormal section. Let's take a rocket ship there. Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we are switching gears from tech to the paranormal, but this week, things are a little bit different. Usually, we cover paranormal topics in this section, but uh, we're largely going to take a sidestep for the first half of this uh, in order uh, to talk about paranormal's awkward, stilted cousin, the conspiracy theory, right? So, uh, the first news item we have this week is that D.B. Cooper's identity might be revealed. Yeah, apparently he was in the CIA. Yeah, so apparently it's this guy, Robert Rackstraw, who's still alive, and apparently um, multiple news sources have contacted him, and all he says is to refute researchers' claims. He doesn't say yes or no. He just says, look into this. Tell me what you think. So uh, basically, a private investigative team announced that members believe that D.B. Cooper was a black ops CIA operative, possibly even involved with uh, the Iran Contra deal, and that his identity has been actively hidden by the FBI and the CIA. So Robert Rackstraw is out there. So what has happened is that... uh, there were purportedly five letters sent out from uh, D.B. Cooper that were codes, and apparently codebreakers were able to trace those five coded correspondences uh, and, uh, to items in Rackstraw's past that have matched up. See, I was, I was hoping for him to be the Canadian guy. Remember they were saying he might be a Canadian guy? Oh, yeah. No, he's a CIA operative hanging out in the uh, backwaters of the world with a lot of money. And apparently uh, this investigative team had recently found a piece of a parachute that they handed over to the FBI, but the FBI has not said anything about that. So basically the rule right now is that uh, they weren't actively pursuing the case, but uh, would uh, take action on any of the items presented to them. So apparently even if you present items to them, they still won't say anything. Of course not. Um, He was the original man in black. I I don't know if I'd say the original. He was definitely like a variant of... I I first heard of him on Unsolved Mysteries, and it's one of the ones I, I most remember, actually, uh, from that show. It was one of the early ones, too, as well. And you were just hoping to find his uh, sack of cash, too, weren't you? I was looking around everywhere for it in the schoolyard. 
<laughs> not even explaining what's going on to your teachers and uh, classmates. Yeah, because that was an early episode. So I was like in grade four or five when that came out. So from one conspiracy theory to another, apparently YouTube promotes conspiracy theory clips. This was fascinating, actually. Uh, it's almost, uh, I had initially put this in the tech section and then Brian uh, correctly put it in the uh, paranormal slash for this week conspiracy theory section because basically what the YouTube algorithm seems to be doing is that it's bringing up videos that kind of push conspiracy theories. Uh, for example, uh, and and most specifically during the 2016 election, where there were videos like with titles like must watch, Hillary Clinton tried to ban this video and it was watched millions of times and then it would just disappear. Right. So that, that's the other weird thing is that stuff like that would just go away. Um, what's interesting is that all this was brought up by uh, Guillaume Chasselot. Uh, he's like a 36-year-old French computer programmer, and he has a PhD in artificial intelligence. He worked at Google, but um, Google sort of let him go, apparently over performance issues, but his own conspiracy, <laughs> so it's like a conspiracy within a conspiracy, is that he was let go because he was um, sort of... Trying to foster change. Yeah, he was trying to change the, for them to clean up the way they do this algorithm and it brings a bad thing. And we've discussed this Google algorithm, how it's, it seems to have a mind of its own. They've like kind of lost control of the algorithm and it's uh, making kids see horrible things uh, like poor Paw Patrol videos where the puppies died. And now these conspiracies are being kind of bubbling up to the top and it's been happening for years and years and years. And I do think that uh, in large part, I think, it's sort of indicative of clickbait culture, right? So the idea that like the sensationalized headline will often get the click or the views and therefore uh, advertisers will want to throw money uh, behind platforms with a lot of views. Well, sort of like we mentioned before with uh, Business Insider and their clickbaity titles that they have, uh, that's something that's happening everywhere. Uh, one of the things that really struck me was uh, there's a YouTube creator who was banned recently for making... Um, for making advertising revenues because he had really weird videos where it was like his kids getting flu shots, removing earwax, crying over dead pets. And he told the reporter that he had only been doing this and uh, to respond to Google's al algorithm. It was the demand of Google's al algorithm. A uh, quote from him is, that's what got us out there and popular, he said. We learned to fuel it and do whatever it took to please the algorithm. That sounds ominous. It also sounds like you're serving a robotic master. Yeah, and that algorithm is what rules Google, uh, what rules um, YouTube right now, and what gets people to actually make their money. There's people that make a lot of money off of YouTube, but if their video doesn't get picked up that, by that algorithm and seen by a lot of people, then there's nothing they can do. Exactly, and uh, that's a loss of revenue right there, and especially if that's your primary gig. Yeah, and apparently this algorithm seemed to really favor Trump over Clinton, according to um, the the story. And it seems to me like this AI likes chaos. That's a good way of putting it, yeah. Uh, head on over to the show notes and read that Guardian article. It's super fascinating. It has a lot of insight into things like the methodology behind how they parsed out uh, different videos, as well as uh, you know taking a look at seeing what's up in the what's next roles and kind of getting an idea of how the AI uh, worked on picking what was uh, next seen over a series of videos. 
So, Angela, it turns out that humans can be wrong about a lot of things, including the correlation between the full moon and earthquakes. So it turns out that uh, the uh, moon being close to Earth doesn't have enough pull to it in order to create any seismic activity, but people tend to believe that anyways. Well, look, don't get me started on the full moon, but I guess you have. Um, This opens a huge can of worms because, okay, this story is about earthquakes, but the full moon seems to be blamed for all kinds of things. And the problem with that is that you kind of sort of make do it on purpose so that you think it's the full moon causing a bad day or people acting crazy. Like, for example, uh, people always say like there's a lot more action in the ER during the full moon. But if you actually take a look at it and break it down over time, it has nothing to do with that at all. It just, you kind of remember when it's the full moon and then you remember that it was a crazy night. Uh, I have this discussion with my wife all the time. She Why? Because uh, she ends up in the ER because of chainsaw <laughs> battles during the full moon? No, uh, only with flamethrowers. But she teaches grade one, and um, on certain times, the kids will be crazy. But they're kids. They're always crazy, um, but sometimes worse than others. And she'll say, it must be a full moon. And sometimes it is. But oftentimes... And, and sometimes it isn't. It's not. So it has nothing to do with anything. It's just confirmation bias you remember the hits and forget the misses that's a very good point actually and the article does a good job of outlining how uh there are any number of reasons why earthquakes happen it's not just the full moon nor is it primarily the full moon in fact the full moon doesn't even figure into it most of the time if anything is harp oh yeah we haven't done anything about harp yet that might be something for us to uh discuss in a future uh, episode but we don't want to harp on it uh, also, Harp is a lifestyle choice. You know that. Whether or not you want to get hit by that uh, weather machine is really up to you guys. Come on. What does it stand for? High atmosphere atomic radiation particles or something like that? High frequency active oral research program. Thanks, Nick Beggage, who drilled that into my brain. Look at you. You know all this stuff. I know one of the acronyms. You're our acronym specialist. Uh, <laughs> let's move on to other sorts of uh i don't know how to call it. it's like earth-based activities i guess so uh we've actually talked about this in passing a few times but um a lot of people in the american consulate of cuba had a lot of issues in terms of uh, uh partial blindness and deafness disorientation and uh, weird brainwave activity over the last couple of months and it hasn't really properly been explained a lot of people have theorized that it's some kind of weapon some kind of sonic weapon hitting them in the head but uh, others believe it's just uh a generalized issue hanging out yeah they're they're kind of what what used to be called mass hysteria and they're kind of narrowing it down to that um now reading the article i kind of laughed uh not because of what the article said itself but because it made me think of you with your room tone and maybe now you're facing some sort of weaponized room tone attack to drive you insane so you're saying that maybe my neighbors upstairs who uh throw stuff around, thump around at all hours of the night, as well as uh, kind of disrupt everything forever, uh, might have launched a covert attack on me. Perhaps. Uh, It is frightening, though, that all these people are feeling all these bizarre um, symptoms, and there's something physical there. But they're saying it has something to do with something called the nocebo effect. Um, It sounds like a rap name. (laughs) like a chorus for a trap song nocebo 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 (laughs) just throwing that one out there yeah look at you you're you know your stuff brian (laughs) i know i know acronyms don't worry about it 
But yeah, like, so a nocebo effect is like, a, it's defined as a detrimental effect on health produced by psychological or psychosomatic factors such as negative expectations or or treatment uh, or treatment of, or prognosis. So like if it basically kind of tells you something bad is happening and it's going to happen, but it's kind of hard to test and sort of uh, unethical to test. Yeah, like no one's going to sign up and be like, yes, blast me and see what happens uh, to my body with this. So they, they can't really test, uh, like it says, research into the nocebo effect has been hampered by the ethics of subjecting people to it. Um, Didn't stop the MKUltra folks, though. Have you watched Wormwood yet? No, I lived through it. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't as of yet. It's on my list of things to do. But you know how real life gets in the way, right? You have two kids, a cat oh. and a wife. They all oh, yeah. demand your attention. You have a job. You like going to it, I imagine. You have to interact with people. When do you have time to watch, you know, uh, documentaries? I, I have been watching a lot of documentaries lately. Um, I also watched a um, crappy movie uh, last week. I Go on. It, Zone of Silence. How was that? It was crappy. Uh, we quickly discussed it last week. It's so I, w- I didn't really go into it too much last week. Um, the actors in it weren't terrible, I guess. It wasn't that. It's it's just in the same vein of uh, the Blair Witch, where essentially nothing happens for the whole movie, and then when something does happen, it just ends. Uh, it, it makes me think of that stupid um, Family Guy scene where um, somebody's describing. I think it was Brian the dog, not you. Uh, was Thanks for making that clarification right yeah, there. Just making sure. Uh, was this guy was basically uh, telling somebody what was happening on the screen because they were blind. I think it was Stewie who had gone blind for some reason. Again, I can't remember the exact thing, but he kept saying for the whole movie, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. Oh, something's happening, and now the movie's over. And basically, I, that, uh, that's what happened. I have a this. bit of a different read on that, but that's fine. I know you liked uh, The Blair Witch because... I did, I, because I once got lost in the woods, and it very much felt like that. And, you know, I was so excited to see it. I think I had ex- my expectations were set a little too high for it. And that's what, what made me not enjoy it as much. Um, but let's, so, okay. Uh, this Blair Witch talk will happen on another episode, but let's get back to Zone, uh, Zone of Silence here because it actually is partially based on fact. That's the thing I found interesting. Uh, so I went up and looked up this Zone of Silence thing and... It's an actual place, like they said in the movie. Um, they didn't make it up for the movie. It's located in the, the Mapimi Biosphere Reserve in the Chihuahuan Desert. So it's um, deep in Mexico. And something interesting, a lot of meteors have fallen there in 1938, and 1954, and then 1969 as well. And um, the name Zona Sounds was coined by uh, a member of the National Oil Company that sent an expedition to work there. And their leader... Um, Augusto Harry de la Peña called it this because it's sick pronunciation, bro. By the way, well, I, I am Italian, so Spanish and Italian do have some uh, similarities. And uh, but thank you, I appreciate that, Brian. Uh, but something really interesting that also happened there on July 11th of 1970, an Athens rocket that was supposed to come down in White Sands, New Mexico, came down there, and uh, none other than Werner von Braun ended up going there to investigate this crash for like 28 days. 
which is also what how long it takes for zombies to arrive according to that movie <laughs> yeah didn't they also like didn't the army also set up like a, a whole base there pretty much yeah they set up a whole base there uh rails to be able to bring all that the heavy rocket back uh, with them and then it just sort of like they left it and it just went into ruin um but now it's there's still issues with and and these are documented issues like it's not like a conspiracy theory or anything this happens you go there um your equipment doesn't work and of course because of that people are going to start talking about aliens um a lot of me the thing with the meteors is interesting there too there's talk of these hot pebbles that hit people when they're there from the sky and the land it's kind of weird there's a couple of great articles about it in uh, Atlas, Atlas Obscura because it is a place people will go and visit. Um, something I did find uh, funny is that um, somebody named Geraldo Rivera said that there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's lots of stories of aliens and unidentified flying objects in the zone. Um, but it's not uh, the Geraldo Rivera who does news reports. It's, a, it's his cousin. A court, uh, it's his cousin? No, I'm just I'm just theorizing here. It's his cousin Geraldo. Yes. Um no, it's he's a, a bureaucrat who uh was also the uh, the province of Chihuahua's most devoted UFO investigator according to one of the articles I'll be posting. Imagine having that title though. What? Uh the most Chihuahua's devoted... most devoted UFO yeah, investigator. Exactly, yeah. That's a uh, that's a belt buckle right there, my friend. Yeah, and and so something else he said is that people often get lost in the zone and when this happens, sometimes Tall blonde beings appear out of nowhere. Oh, right. And they just, uh, they speak Spanish too. Yeah. And so again, more Nordics. We talked about the Nordic aliens last week. We're talking about them again this week. And um, uh, to move things back to a more uh, factual uh, base of things, I think something really interesting is that apparently uh, the disruption to a lot of these electronics is based uh, by the amount of uh, subterranean deposits of the of magnetite, right? As well as a lot of this meteorite debris. So it's kind of, explainable but not fully well the other interesting thing is on the same parallel as the bermuda triangle oh and we talked uh, about that a little a while ago yeah uh and um i think the episode was called triangles aren't sexy or something like that um so here's a question for you right so if this is in the same uh parallel as the bermuda triangle what do we call in this place the zone of silence no 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 it's got to have a catchier name than that like the like hell's portal zona di silencio I see you're really trying this one out. Really original stuff going on tonight here. On uh, Hell's Barren Wasteland. There we go. That's the stuff I'm talking about here. That's what I want to hear. Um, the Desert of Futility. Oh, I like that. Desert uh, of Futility sounds great. So clearly if you're taking someone to the Zone of Silence, you want them to... Uh, you want to get rid of someone? Just take them there, right? Like, no matter what they have, if they have a cellular telephone or GPS or a uh, compass, they're, they may not come out of it alive. Would you say you'd want to silence them? Oh, perhaps, perhaps silence them permanently in the way of killing them. And then nobody will say anything because you were abducted by aliens. Zone of silence. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a genuinely interesting place because unlike the Bermuda Triangle, this is land-based and it has a little more uh, of a basis in reality in terms of the scientific explanation as to why um, radio waves and things like that don't get propagated properly. Well, the thing that's interesting to me is after all these years of being super interested in UFOs and the paranormal, I had never heard of this until I watched this stupid movie. 
I guess this is the time to announce that Angela and I will be starting a Kickstarter in order to fund our travels down there to do a documentary on the Zone of Silence called The Zone of Silence Time for All, or like Time to Tell. Maybe. We haven't decided on a final title yet, but uh, if you're interested, Liz, please let us know uh, and uh, donate accordingly. We have uh, many tiers of uh, prizes and uh, gifts set up in case you do uh, want to uh, contribute to our campaign. You do realize that's the entire premise of Zone of Silence, is that these two guys go there to film a documentary about the Zone of Silence. Wait, 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 wait. Did they kickstart, though? Uh, They didn't get that far into it, but they um, did not, uh, it didn't end well for them at all. And uh, one of them, their little sister, had to go find them, and it didn't end well for her either. Spoiler alert, but pretty much. I was about to say, this is a major spoiler alert here. Do you. you want to address the fact that you're uh, kind of giving that away, or are uh, you good with that? I think I saved you the hour and 17 minutes of your time that it would have taken to watch this movie. I do the hard stuff so you don't have to. What would make you go to the Zone of Silence? So, uh, I think we've mentioned this before. Like, I don't like traveling. I don't like camping or anything of that nature. It does not sound interesting at all to me to go there. It would take a lot for me to travel to this zone of silence place like a lot like money like a kickstarter <laughs> you and your kickstarter i don't i don't know i i don't know how much money it would take for me to go travel to this place and be sitting in the desert like how long would i have to spend there i don't know like a day or two i guess i think that'd be like a fair amount of time to spend in the zone of silence okay so let's say for um every day i spent there let's be realistic five hundred thousand dollars. Wow, that's a realistic number for you. I'd do it for like 10 bucks, dude. Oh, no. Yeah. See, I, unrealistic for me would like, oh, a million dollars a day. That, that's unrealistic. 500 grand, though, US. Um, so that's like a million Canadian um, would be fine. So what you're saying is that uh, you don't want to go meet Nordics that speak Spanish, is what you're telling us. Do they speak Spanish, though? Well, apparently. I thought they, they spoke Venetian. <laughs> well, apparently, well, I'm seeing is like according to this article, right? That the they spoke perfect Spanish when they were asking for water. So that's true. They, they about, were parched though, because they are Nordic and they're in the heat of the desert. I'd like to think that these Spanish-speaking Nordics are like the limited edition variant of the regular Nordic alien. Like they they got lost along the way, ended up on a different continent. Yeah, for every like twelve regular Nordic aliens, there's one Spanish Nordic alien in every box of Nordic aliens. <laughs> this is a bizarre bizarre hypothesis brian but it can, can work <laughs> can you tell i've been reading about uh the the secondary toy market recently why have you been doing that oh because i was watching the toys that made us uh it's a series of documentaries on netflix that's really cool so they talk about the creation of star wars uh gi joe Bari, uh he-man etc uh, super fascinating excellent. stuff i and i see you found time to watch some documentaries on netflix over the holidays, yes, I did. Yeah, I watched that one too, and it was fantastic. I'm looking forward to uh, the second part of it. So finally, our last big item of the week. Through the sands of time, we uh, tend to uh, change as a people, and as such, our language, our vernacular, our way of describing things also changes. And sometimes that touches upon that which is high above us in the sky. And uh, what we're talking about, of course, is how UFO descriptions have changed with the times uh the smithsonian actually had a really great article about that recently that i found super fascinating yeah that uh came to us i i think well i saw it initially on twitter via our uh friend 
uh, Rob, who hosts the Our Strange Skies podcast. Have you ever wanted common sense advice about licking UFOs? And uh, really interesting that, uh, and I don't know if it, it means that, what it means for UFOs, if it's something that the UFO does or our own psychological thing that we place on them, but they changed as times change with to kind of coincide with the fantastical things of that era. So um, what in the 1890s and early 1900s, they were seeing um, like basically blimps. I mean, those they called them dirigibles back then. Yeah, or Zeppelins uh, later on. Led Zeppelins. So uh, dirigible Zeppelins. Yeah, and then, you know, as the, the 40s and 50s, they became saucers because of uh, Kenneth Arnold's sighting. Um, and uh, or rather, his his description of the sighting. It, well, not even his description, right? It was a description of uh, an Associated Press journalist, a journalist, I believe, who called it a, a flying. Well, saucer. he 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 quoted it. Yeah, exactly. And and then you know later on, we started seeing triangles, and then um, the egg shaped things. I don't know if they mentioned all these things in the article. I can't remember, but it's just they've changed and changed and changed and now i don't find we're seeing anything special in the sky it's just lights all the time uh i think there are like so i think there are several different threads we can follow down this rabbit hole right so one of them would be that aliens are indeed changing technology as much as we change our own technologies you know um at roughly the same rate which i don't necessarily uh believe to be true because that's just way too coincidental but it's something to think about yeah i, th- I think i don't think that's the the correct answer there so that's probably not it. Uh, the second <laughs> thread I would probably suggest would be uh, different UFOs at different intervals are visiting us, right? So it's not just one homogeneous um, sort of saucer people, but really many saucer peoples from many parts of the galaxy dropping in and saying hi. See, that makes a lot more sense uh, that we're being visited at different times by different people or aliens or ultra dimensionals, whatever uh, they're coming through a different space to see us uh first flying airships coincidentally those are the things we were interested in back then and then uh, through um saucer type shapes that were also the things we started getting interested back then when uh during the world war when we were trying to have more and more interesting uh ways to fly so i i don't know it just do you find we're like in a sort of boring spot though now with what people are seeing? Because like huge dirigibles in the air was kind of interesting. Flying saucers, super interesting. Boring lights in the sky that sort of disappear and reappear, really boring. One of my favorite types of uh, UFO shape has not been mentioned at all, which is the cigar shape, which has been uh, kind of uh, uh, a consistent shape that people have seen in the last like uh, century and a bit or so, um, but not something that people see now. And I definitely agree with you. Uh, the skies above us uh, for uh, UAPs or UFOs kind of kind of boring right now. Yeah, like what we're fly we're seeing flying tic tacs in grainy video, as as well as things that probably could be planes or drones. I'm starting to wonder what is going on. Did these aliens lose interest in us? Um, do they not exist, and we're just kind of seeing what we want to see in the sky? Okay, so know. let's. I'm going to stop you right there, right? Let's get spacey for a sec. Ironically enough, uh, <laughs> given what we're talking about, but what if, you know, uh, uh, UFOs and aliens and things like that are just uh, a shared expression of our subconscious acting out, right? So the idea that uh, they exist only within our minds as a collective unconscious, perhaps. So that's why throughout times, these, uh, 
shapes of UFOs have changed to meet the needs, the wants, the desires, etc., of our subconscious as a, as a people. I like dipping into noetic science over there. Yeah, a little bit actually. I'm not going to deny that. That's a former astronaut started that. Is it Ed, Edgar Mitchell? Yes. Yeah. So um, I don't know if I buy into noetic science. To be honest with you, I. You know where I learned about noetic science, Brian? Uh, internet from a Dan Brown book. Which Dan Brown book? Solomon's Key or something? Is that right? No, that's got to be it. An older, like uh, the one after, uh, the one that he finally took forever to write after the Da Vinci Code. I have no idea what you're talking about. I'll be honest with you. I don't, I read the Da Vinci Code. I laughed. I put it down. Never again will I return to it. It was fine. Not more than I, that. I'm not going to go into this uh, in this episode because uh, I don't think it's appropriate, but uh, there's, there are better things you can read with your time. Oh, yes, absolutely. For example, there's a really good book about Janela and Hynek that's really good. It was The Lost Symbol, by the way. Oh, there we go. A problem solved, everyone. Call off the Dan Brown cavalcades, all you Dan Brown. Are there names for Dan Brown fans? Um, Danners? I was going to say brownheads, but that sounds incredibly insensitive <laughs> and also like could be uh, a metaphor for other things, too. So uh, I'm not going to go down that no, that's route. But yeah, uh, uh, don't. Uh, here's a Brian Hasty PSA. Just don't read Dan Brown. Honestly, like it's the height of mediocrity. Not great. It's very uh, poppy, sciencey, and not even very good. Um, and in terms of somebody who studied art history, his art history stuff is sort of irritating. There we go. Uh, I'm glad that you at least can admit that much. Yeah, it's just there. You feel special though because you can finish a chapter in like two minutes. Okay, so that's my whole theory behind him, right? That people feel accomplished when they read Dan Brown books because there are ten thousand chapters per book, and every chapter is a page and a half. Yeah, it's it's easy to read where it's like, oh, I gotta go to bed. I can just read this chapter and I'm done. And it feels good. It feels good. You feel accomplished, right? Uh, I guess. Well, that's what I, that's my whole point, right? You get to read a couple chapters. You feel like you've done something with your night. How did we end up on Dan Brown? I think it's my fault. Yeah, because you're talking about... Uh, noetic science. Noetic and, science. Yes, exactly. Right. But I, I see w- the thread you're pulling at here, and it makes a lot of sense, where we as a people start kind of talking. Like, let, Let's go from the, the UFOs to the people inside the UFOs and how what it, it used to be um, regular-looking humans. The guy who got served pancakes said they vaguely looked Italian. Um, if you want to learn about that, go listen to uh, the second, it was like a mini-sode of Our Strange Skies. I'll link to it in the show notes. Excellent, excellent episode. It sort of made me laugh, though, that this guy thought they were vaguely Italian-looking that came out of this saucer and served them uh, pancakes. Um, But so, like, look, they went from looking like humans, then there's another case of... um, Pascadula, is that what it's called? The the abduction there where the guys came out and they had like lobster arms? Yeah. There's that one. So lobster armed aliens. Um, then the Nordics, of course, aforementioned. Yeah, the Venusians, Billy Meyer, et cetera, et cetera. Here's an idea for you that I want you to think about, right? So let's let's continue down this path a little bit, right? And you're saying, let's think, let's consider the people uh, within these saucers, right? Like, what if they're a manifestation of our loneliness and our desires for connection? Huh. That's an interesting point. So, like, humans are projecting uh, their wants and their fears on what they're seeing in UFOs. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, what is more terrifying than the light in the sky when you can't protect yourself? And then what is more, uh, not necessarily welcoming, but warm, uh, knowing that you're not alone? Because some people do have extremely unfortunate uh, encounters with UFOs, but some people uh, would characterize their encounters as positive, right? So the idea that we aren't alone, uh, it works on multiple levels in this case. Would you say the positive UFO experiences outweigh the negative? Because I always thought it was the other way around. I don't know. That's a good question. I'd love to see some uh, quantified facts. I'd imagine it's a negative um, UFO experience whenever there's uh, any sort of probing going on. Yes, I would. Um, like just for myself, if I if I were to be like like if I was just alone driving and I saw a UFO, I I would feel that would be negative because it'd be kind of frightening because I'm alone. But if we would have actually seen a UFO when you and I were doing our podcast in the backyard, uh, hoping to see a UFO and we didn't, I think that would have been positive. Yeah, I definitely do think that it depends on the context of a lot of these things, which is why I'm not saying that like uh, an encounter is inherently uh, positive or negative because you have to quantify it through uh, a larger context of things, right? Which is why I'm suggesting, um, you know, if it is just a, our subconscious screaming at us, then it's a really interesting kind of facet that I, a lot of people don't consider uh, necessarily. But then again, like this is a very kind of esoteric way of thinking about uh, alien encounters, uh, not necessarily one that like I would believe in, but it's interesting to think about. It really is interesting to think about because it's fascinating to me that all this just keeps changing with the times. So there has to be a connection there. Either like you initially said that it's different people visiting us or it's our own collective unconscious that's creating these things and they're they're just a projection of what we want them to be. In the 1800s, we wanted them to be these really cool airships uh, and now we just want them to be boring lights in the sky for some reason. I think you and I can both agree on the fact that we uh, would love it if the UFO shape returned to the classic Zeppelin look. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this. If you want to go ahead and let us know what you think, are UFOs actually just our subconscious yelling at us? Are aliens our desire to connect? Is there some kind of tangible uh, proof or you know uh, feeling inside of you that maybe agrees with that? You can go ahead and tweet at us at double underscore density, facebook.com slash double density podcast. Same thing on Instagram. You can also head over to doubledensity.net and click on the contact button in order to send us a funny uh sad heartfelt uh really any sort of email you want uh we'll accept it and we'll read it on the air right we usually do we like reading our uh little uh communications on line on the internet heck we'll even read it we'll even read spam mail we've done it before we'll do it again that those are the most fun to read and with that we're bringing episode 42 of double density to a close angela it's been fun it's been a pleasure i want you to think about aliens in different ways you know start expanding that brain of yours beyond the dan brown books i'll try my best uh, i'm gonna try to uh, basically oh, hold on what's the word i'm looking for i'm gonna try to tap into the uh, collective unconscious of all of humankind all seven or so billion of us and see what i come up with Maybe I should get you a copy of The Secret to Read. Uh, maybe we should form some sort of book club. Oh, that sounds like a really good idea. I think I know a couple of people that would be perfect for it. Perfect. And uh, until then, uh, I guess we'll just keep on trucking in this uh, known universe of uh, R5 senses. What are R5 senses again? Touching, seeing, smelling hearing 
pooping. <laughs> not tasting? <laughs> no, no. No, I, I decided to take that the juvenile route. Uh, everybody poops. It, we could start the book club with that, actually. Yeah, this is like the longest outro ever. <laughs> I know. Anyways, Angela, I will see you next week. See you next week, Brian. Goodbye from the aliens. Bye. Double uh, pod. Uh, oh shit, I'm going to retake that. Not on my game. Deading it up with Angelo.